Hey, good morning, Northeast. See you. And if you are online with us this morning, Great to have you with us as well. You belong here. In fact, just in the last service, I met a gentleman who is here. He has been watching us online from the Caribbean and was visiting us in person today. He says that he has galvanized a group of people who watch us every week from the Caribbean. So if you're watching from the Caribbean, shout out to you. We love you guys. Thank you for helping us start a new campus in the Caribbean, and, uh, and I fashion a kind of an Apostle Paul missionary trip, maybe to check in on you guys. I mean, it would feel irresponsible to not go and check on the saints in the Caribbean, right? <laughs> the kingdom of God is a down kingdom. Jesus' kingdom, it's backwards. In Jesus' kingdom, we're called to love our enemies, pray for those who persecute us, do good to those who hurt us, even turn the cheek to the one who would. In Jesus' kingdom, strength is found in weakness, beauty is found in ashes, and as we'll see today, greatness is found in service. The kingdom of God is an up, and as disciples of Jesus, following in his ways, that means then that you and I are called to be upside down people upside down in our thinking. Today, we're going to enter the last leg of the journey. We've talked already about the gospel's call to live for Christ and to die to self. And today, we enter that final call, the call to give your life in service to others. And what we're going to hear Jesus say in the words and from the lips of Jesus is that true greatness is And that true impact for the kingdom is found in a posture of service, not a position of power. So turn with me in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 20. Matthew chapter 20, the way through your Bibles, if you have a physical Bible, if not, just grab whatever device you have, uh, pull up uh, a Bible app on that, and meet us in Matthew chapter 20. Uh, Jesus, at this point, has been moving closer and closer to Jerusalem in his ministry, his entire working towards the cross, but now he's physically coming up to Jerusalem. In one chapter more, in chapter 21, he will enter Jerusalem, which will kick off the final week of his life, where on the first day of that week, he was hailed as a king, celebrated as a Messiah, coming to, to, to enter this kingdom, to usher in this kingdom, but by the end of the week, he would be crucified among common criminals just in one week's time. This is what he's stepping into. Then Jesus gathers his disciples before entering Jerusalem, and he says to them these words in Matthew chapter 20, beginning at verse 17. As Jesus was to Jerusalem, he took the 12 disciples aside, and on the way he said to them, see, we're going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the scribes, and they will condemn him to death and deliver him to be mocked and flogged and crucified, and he will be raised on the third day. And then the mother of the sons of Zebedee came up to him with her sons, and kneeling before him, she asked him for something. And he said to her, what is it you say? She said to him, 
say that these two sons of mine are to sit, one at your right and one at your left, in your kingdom. Jesus answered, you do not know what you are asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I am to drink? They said to him, we are. But he said to them, you will drink my cup, but to sit at my right hand and at my left is not mine to grant, but it is for those for whom it has been prepared by my father. Now just stop there at the end of 23. And closer to the cross, about to enter Jerusalem, gathers his disciples in this moment, and he tells them exactly what is to come. That he'll be handed over, delivered, then flogged and crucified to be raised again on the third day. He paints the picture exactly for what it is and what he has come to do. He has come to lay down his life, to give his life as sacrifice, as ransom for many. And it's in this moment with death hovering over them, with this grim announcement coming upon their ears, that what happens? The response from the mother of Zebedee is, hey, Jesus, I have a question. With this grim announcement, recognizing this man that they've just committed three years of their life to is about to be taken from them. What breaks the request of a mother and the request, simply this. Say that these two sons of mine are to sit one at your right and one at your left. Notice Jesus is never one to run away when they have a need and I would expect that in this moment with the, the weight of this news on them, I would be thinking about Jesus' need, or maybe not. Because after all, we always seem to be thinking of our own. And in the weight of this moment, it's the mother of the sons of Zebedee that comes and asks this question, and Jesus doesn't turn her away. He embraces the question, what is it? What do you want? Say that will sit, one at your right and one at your left. I, I hope you see the collision here in this story. I hope you see the collision between how God feels about the kingdom and God's heart for the kingdom and our hearts. Jesus has just announced that he is ready to give up his life as a ransom for many. And the mother of the sons of Zebedee comes seeking that her sons be given position and authority. Jesus is to lay his life down. She is requesting that these two sons of hers be lifted up. There's a collision in the kingdom between how we view the kingdom and what we want from the kingdom. Now we have to understand who this mother is and what she is requesting to really get the most out of this story. The text says simply the mother of the sons of Zebedee. What we know historically, study of the, the Gospels, is that this is actually a, a blood relative of Jesus. That the mother of the sons of Zebedee is actually the sister of Mary, as in the Virgin Mary. So this is effectively Jesus' aunt or aunt, however you choose to say it. So this is the, the, the aunt of, of Jesus coming and saying to him, hey, I 
that I need of you. And Jesus asks, what is it? And she announces that, that her two sons, she would like for her two sons, James and John, who are then effectively the cousins of Jesus, right, to be seated at his and his left. I understand in this culture where family is everything, this woman comes seeking from Jesus a family favor. After all, who, who doesn't like to You're setting up your kingdom, like, Let's do it as a family enterprise. But I understand what this means, too, to sit at the right and the left hand of a king. These aren't just places of honor. These are positions of authority. You become, you become right-hand men, right? This is where the term comes from. You help execute the king's authority in the kingdom, to uphold his judgments in the kingdom. And these two sons are eager to partner with Jesus Except the problem is the way that they view partnership is through position and power. Now, Jesus had just told them, mind you, in Matthew chapter 19, if you go back, in Matthew 19, verse 28, he tells them this. Jesus said to them, all of his disciples, truly I say to you, in the new world, when the Son of Man will sit on his glorious throne... You who have followed me will also sit on the 12 thrones, judging the 12 Israel. So these men are coming in with this expectation. Hey, Jesus said it himself, in the new world, meaning the kingdom, they, they understood what Jesus was talking about. In the kingdom, you promised that the 12 of us who have given up everything to follow would inherit a seat where we will rule, judge over Israel. So it's only reasonable then that as they're thinking about sitting in these 12 seats, that two of them at least would contemplate, well, only two of them closest to Jesus, and it might as well be family. The problem is, again, that they saw power and position as important in the kingdom. Power means to influence on behalf of the kingdom. And oh, how often we believe the same thing. Oh, how often we believe that power and position are key to influence in the kingdom. We don't say it here, right? Not out loud. When we're in the church lobby and we're talking to people, I mean, we say that everyone, no matter who you are, no matter what you do, you can make an impact for Jesus. That's what we tell people. We pray about privately to the Lord, and what we say to him is that, Lord, if you would just put me in that position, just think I would be able to influence more people for you. And Lord, if I just had that, even more people looking at my leadership and more people being pointed to Jesus. Like, Lord, if you would just give me that corner office, I could lead the entire company in good Christian practice, and they would see humility and kindness. And so though we say publicly that anyone can serve Jesus in any position, what we privately ask is that Jesus would give us power and position so that we more for the kingdom. Because we too think wrongly, that power and position helps bring about influence on behalf of the kingdom. Permission to 
May I? I've gotten about one head nod in each service, and I'll just take that as unanimous. I think, I think that this is why so many were so convinced that the presidency was the key to influencing America for Jesus. Because we think that power and position can help influence the kingdom. Except according to Jesus, we don't influence the kingdom by ruling over men. We influence the kingdom by discipling them. And we miss it, just like James and John. So Jesus responds, verse 22, you do not know what you are asking. Are you cup that I am to drink. Are you able to drink the cup? In the Old Testament, the cup was a picture of God's divine judgment, a picture of his wrath being poured out on rebellion on him. Jesus is saying, are you kidding me? Are you able to drink the cup? Isaiah 51 says this, Isaiah 51, 17, wake yourselves, wake yourselves, stand up, O Jerusalem, you who have drunk from the hand of the Lord of his wrath, who have drunk to the dregs the bowl, the cup of staggering. And from that point forward in Isaiah 51 is a picture of destruction coming, but also ultimately a promise of restoration in God for his people through this judgment on sin depicted as being poured out from a cup. Jesus is saying, are you able to drink of the cup? Are you and your shoulders able to bear the wrath of God in order to satisfy see for sin? Are you able to do this? And one of the most embarrassing moves in the scriptures, James and John pipe up. And we know that it's not just Mary making this request. It says, they reply, who? The two sons. And they answer Jesus. Yep, we can. Are we able to drink the cup and satisfy the wrath of God for sin, the sin of humanity? Yeah, we're with you, Jesus. We are with you. If you've ever wondered if the scriptures are true, if you've ever wondered if these are just made up stories made to look Jesus look better than he is or look like someone that he isn't, right? Like he, he was really just a man, but now has been written in such a way that he's made to be a God, right? And all these men are made to be something more than they are. Look, if the scriptures were fabricated and written in order to make people look better, I would have never allowed this to be included about me. That in the moment when Jesus is asking, can you partner with me in God's greatest work? To answer and say, yes, we can. Jesus very quickly redirects. You will drink my cup, but to right and my left is not mine to grant. It's for those who have been prepared by my father. He said, you'll drink of my cup meaning you will follow me, you will take up my example. We're about to go into Jerusalem. We will have a Passover feast. I will have a cup, and you will follow in my footsteps to be servants, even to give your lives up. But you could never give your life up and bear the burden that I am about to bear for you. You'll drink my cup of service, but not God's cup of rest. 
requires a perfect lamb and a perfect sacrifice. In this moment, he's saying, hey, your job, your job is to be focused on serving like me here on earth. Drink my cup, my and let God worry about the kingdom. Your job as a disciple is to be focused on serving like Jesus while on earth and to let God choose what he does with the Simple point that Jesus is making for his disciples. Hey, discipleship calls you, guys. Discipleship calls you James and John. Discipleship calls you northeast to a pursuit of service, to a pursuit of greatness. Discipleship calls us to a pursuit of service not a pursuit of greatness. Because Jesus calls us to take his cup and his example, not the cup of the world, not the cup that we think will lead to a great. Is it wrong to be ambitious in life? No. Is it wrong to be an entrepreneur? Is it wrong to, to, to rise to a level and have leadership over people, even command over people? No. Is it wrong to make that the aim and end all, be all? Because that's not the aim and end all and be all of life. And if you think it is, hold on because someday all of that leadership will be taken from you. I will not be of Northeast forever. I'm counting on that, guys. <laughs> At some point, one person said amen, so if you this week, we'll grab a cup of coffee. Um, now, at some point, it will be necessary, necessary. And I say, and I hope you know, I mean this. It will come later that it'll be necessary that someone else lead us into the future. And my job in that moment will be to be a servant to the elder board a servant to the church, to you by letting go. Discipleship is nothing more than a call to service, not greatness. us to this, and yet how often do we get it wrong? So much of our lives are spent having a very different conversation, a conversation about getting the right grades so you can get into the right school, get the right degree, end up with the right interview at the right, at the right position and earn the right income in order to retire in the right way. And it's all focused on the wrong kingdom and the wrong right. When Jesus is saying, I want you to take my, of laying your life down in service to others. So the question is, how often do we go into work? How often do we go into school? How often do we go into our position, whatever it is, work, home, family? Lord, who would you have me give my life to today? And how would you have me lay my life down now in this moment? If you don't think that there is a collision between our hearts and how we view the kingdom and how God, just pause for a moment and consider the response of all the other disciples as they're watching this conversation play out. Pick it up with me in verse 24. When the 10 heard it, they were indignant at the two 
But Jesus called them to him and said, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them and their great ones exercise authority over them. It shall not be so among you, but whoever would be great among you must be your servant. First, among you must be your slave. Even as the son of man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Notice it says that the 10 were indignant. And again, we know that this is really James and John behind this, not just the mother of the sons of Zebedee, because it says they were indignant at who? At the two, at the two of them. I'm sure they were ripping on these guys royally. You got your mom to help you out? You called mama? And they were indignant. Why were they indignant? I think for a couple of reasons. First, because these two cats are trying to jump to the front of the line. But secondly, because they know that those seated in those positions won't just rule or judge over the 12 tribes of Israel. They'll rule over everything, right? Like they have an authority greater than the other disciples. It's like, wait, you're trying to get one up on me. In this all together, buddy, from the beginning. We were there at the start together. We both have three years in on this enterprise. What makes you think that you deserve that seat more than me? Cousin, please. So an argument breaks out. Jesus pulls the minivan over and he speaks into the moment. Verse 25, you know that the rulers of the over them and their great ones to exercise authority over them. It shall not be so among you. Jesus hits them with blunt and stunning statements and stunning language here. He does not compare them like to be compared to. He doesn't compare them to good Jewish priests or rabbis. He compares them in this moment to who? Gentile lords pagan rulers, the very people that they did not known as or be like. And Jesus is like, look, y'all are acting just like them. Y'all aren't acting like saints in this moment. Y'all don't even act, you're not even looking like you've been following me for three years. Like this is a classic parental moment. Have, have you been listening to anything that I've been saying? I didn't teach you that way. You are acting like them. Know that the Gentiles love to lord it over people. But isn't that what you're fighting about right now? And you know that even their leaders love to exercise authority over them. And isn't that what you're doing now? It must be so among you, he says. And then he talks to them about what the gospel calls us to in laying our lives down in service to others. In contrast to the world, here's what greatness says. The great among you must be your servant. Whoever would be first among you must be your slave. Notice Jesus doesn't mince words. He doesn't say, hey, this is an option. Choose the program, choose the path, choose your career assignment. No, must. Great must be servant. First must be slave. Servant in, in this cultural context is one who is essentially a manager of the master's property. You managed what the 
owned. Understand what Jesus is saying in this moment is if you're a follower of Jesus, if you've placed your faith in him, if you consider yourself a disciple, here's what you are. You're a property manager. That's your job. That's your job title. Owner, because God owns it all. You are simply a steward, a manager of what God has granted to us for a brief moment of time. We are stewards, not owners. But then slave in this context is someone who's in service in order to pay off a debt. Jesus says, you're not only a property owner, but you're indebted to me. Why? Because he's come to lay his life down. That's where he goes next in verse I believe that slave notion with this, this calling of his that he has come not to be served but to serve and give his life as a ransom, a ransom payment. I am paying the debt that you cannot pay. And so now you to who? The one who paid it all. And in this moment, he acknowledges that the greatest among you, God in the flesh, came to be the least and a servant. And if the greatest came to be the least, then those of us who are nothing ought not seek to be something. See, in the course of history, in the grand scheme of things, nothing. We're a blip on the radar. We're here for a season. James says that we are but a mist. I'm a, I'm a nothing wrapped in flesh, filled with all kinds of sin, sinful nothing, a sin-filled, flesh-wrapped nothing that will be here today and gone tomorrow. And we're all in the same boat. The grand scheme of things, it's nothing. And the one who is everything gave everything so that those who are nothing might be given eternity. Not that we would then consider ourselves to be, but instead that we would take up the form of a servant just as Jesus did and count ourselves as nothing for the sake of his glory. The essence of service then, we live for Christ, die to self and give our lives in service to others. It's the simple call of every Christian. The call of every Christian is to make others more important than yourself. Just as the Son of Man came not to be served, life down, to, to give his life as a servant, the call of every Christian is to consider and make others more important than yourselves. It comes from Philippians 2, when the Apostle Paul writes about it in Philippians chapter 2, he says this, do not selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though God did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a servant. Being found in human form, by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. The call of a Christian is to consider others more important than themselves. Because if Jesus did not consider 
add something to be grasped. We dare not consider any authority ours to rightly grasp. What does this mean? What does this look like then in our lives as we go about our days this week? First step of giving our lives in service to others is this. The first step is to think posture, not position. This is a mental thing. We, we embrace every day this posture of servitude, not positions of power or leadership. We think posture, not position. Not what position do you hold here, not what position do you hold there, not what rank did you make, not what income did you make. We think posture not position. It means every day we ask God, God, how would you have me be a servant today? Notice the question. The question is not, who would you have me to serve? Because if Jesus came and gave his life for all, then that for us. We don't ask God, who would you have me serve today? How would you have me be a servant today? To those that you would put in front of me, how would you have me be a servant? Snapshots. That means at home, at home, we about who works the hardest. We don't argue at the end of the day saying, I deserve a few minutes. I worked all day. I just walked in the door. All I want is 30 minutes, a little bit of sports center. Speaking. All you want is just that. I speak from experience, that's not all. It was always just the tip of the iceberg. It means at home we don't argue about who worked harder. Well, I got dressed today. <laughs> How's that conversation working out for you? I, I went out and I, I worked from sun up to sundown. Yeah, so did she, or so did he. We don't argue about who worked harder and who then deserves what. When we're heading home, we live for Christ, we die to self, and we walk in the door of service to another. The one that we told Jesus we would die for. It means driving to work in the morning, we're driving to work saying, God, how do I give my life in service? When we're walking in the conference room, when we're we're thinking, how do I serve these people? Well, I'm not in a position of service. No, 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 no. Because here's the thing in the kingdom. The kingdom is upside down. The greater your position in the company, the greater your burden to serve. The the more required of you to lay down your life. Why? Because of the way of Jesus. He who is greatest became the least that he might grant you everything by his work and his sacrifice. I love this quote from Bonner that says, if serving is below you, leadership is beyond you. Because the higher up you go, the more required and the more you lay down your life. It's why one of our axioms at North ask of others what you were unwilling to do yourself. The rules apply to us all equally, no matter what seat we sit in. It means at church, we never think of a task or an opportunity beneath us. I, I, I can't do I could do so much more for the church. I, I could do more than just that. Do you realize what I've done in my career? 
but maybe that's the need. And maybe then we should be willing to fill it. It means at church, we, we never say, I served my time. I, I did my duty. And now I'm retired. Retire from serving in the kingdom. The moment we retire is the moment we expire. And guess what? When you get to heaven, into a worship service where you will serve through song the king of all kings. Which means we never, literally, for eternity, will cease to serve Jesus. What does this look like in everyday life? It looks like Ibby. Ibby, who was a Starbucks barista in Virginia, and one day noticed that one of her, her customers was deaf. Communicate in the same way, which made it hard because their objective and what they've been trained is to get to know people by name, greet them by name, know their order, make this the third space that people want to come. And it bothered her that she couldn't communicate with this guy. Every time he changed his order. And so what did Ibby do? Ibby went home and started learning American Sign Language on her own time. And one day when he showed up at Starbucks, she handed him a note that said sign language. And when he looked up, she practiced and asked him for his order. And he took that note home and he framed it and put it on his wall. Because for the first time, he belonged there. Ibby understood that there's greatness in service looks like an employee at Trader Joe's who when a frantic daughter seeking to get supplies to her father in the midst of the snowstorm and all the stores were closed and she was worried about her 80 something year old father that his supplies were running out and he wasn't prepared and she couldn't get to him. She called Trader Joe's looking to deliver him what he needed except that Trader Joe's doesn't deliver. But she just happened to get an employee who believes that there is greatness in service. And so he not only took the order through her aging father's dietary restrictions, and he recommended things from their store that might be helpful for him. And then he packaged it, packaged it all up, and he delivered it with, within 30 minutes. Trader Joe's doesn't deliver because he understands that there's greatness in service. And it looks like the employees at a Target, who in one day a teenager asked in what aisle he could find the ties. They directed him and then realized that he wasn't finding what he needed. He was looking for a clip-on tie so that he could go to his job interview, a job needed and wanted his first time to interview for a job, but he didn't know how to tie a tie, and they didn't have any clip-ons. And so the employee who directed him to the aisle stood there with him and picked out a tie and then taught him how to tie a tie. The time he's teaching him how to tie a tie, he's drilling him on interview questions, running him through the questions he'll be asked and helping him know how to answer including how to shake the hand of the 
welcoming you in and look them in the eye and greet them with a good, strong voice as though you're ready for this. And then after they tied the tie, he ushered him out the store and he gathered all the other employees around. All cheered this kid on as he went to his very first job interview. Because they understood in that moment that there is greatness no matter your position when you embrace a posture of service. And oh, that we as the church would understand that. And we'd stop clamoring for position. And we would just seek to serve. So Father, we come as your children having been given so and repenting that we take it for granted and have only asked for more. Complained about what we lack. Complained about how we're treated. When you, Father, gave up your and he was beaten and rejected and mocked and he said nothing except, Father, forgive them for their sin. So, Father, forgive us for expecting, forgive us for seeking seats at tables that we think are important when you have called us to take up the posture of Jesus. And would you teach us this week, Father, to go into all the world, our lives in service to our neighbors, to give our lives in service to those that we pass and we avoid because we think they'll ask us for money. Father, to give our lives to those who don't like us, understand us. Father, would you teach us this posture that you would get all glory and honor and that we might simply your image. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. If you want to talk to someone about a decision you've made or let us know how God is moving through this series, visit nebc.ch slash contact. Be sure to stay connected with us throughout the week on social media or by subscribing to our weekly podcast. You can also stay up to date with the latest information about what's going on here at Northeast by subscribing to the Northeast News, our periodic newsletter that comes right to your inbox to keep you in the know. Thanks for listening to today's message, and we hope that you join us as we continue to make disciples on mission for Jesus Christ.